Money FM 89.3, the best of the afternoon update. Money in the market on Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Money in the Market. I'm Hong Bin Jung. In the third quarter of 2023, the persistence of recessionary fears alongside surging oil prices and elevated interest rates suppressed investor optimism. Equities were negative for the quarter and a historically narrow U.S. equity and bond yield spread is tempting asset allocators to shift exposure away from U.S. equities. And that's opening the door to rising equity market volatility. Well, to find out more about this as well as key factors contributing to emerging market performance in the past quarter. Joining us today is Hitendra Varsani, who is the Managing Director and Head of Derivatives and Exchanges Solutions Research at MSCI. Hi, Hitendra. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Hongbin. It's great to be back. It's great to have you back. Hitendra, you know, the last time we spoke, we talked about the performance of MSCI Acqui, which is a stock index to track broad global equity equity market performance, and it rose 6.3% in the second quarter of this year as developed markets outperformed while China weighed on emerging markets. So, Hitendra, as we close the chapter on the third quarter, how did the MSCI Acqui perform in Q3? So, in the third quarter of 2023, the MSCI Acqui Index, Mm. also known as the All Country World Index, Mm was down uh, around 3.3%. Okay. Now, while all major re- regions were down, mm-hmm. uh, on a relative basis, emerging markets outperformed developed markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, the U.S. market outperformed Europe. And in terms of factor indexes, value and yield uh, outperformed across many regions. Mm-hmm. Now, at the same time, uh, you mentioned that uh, we've seen uh, ongoing recessionary fears mm-hmm. and higher oil prices, as well as uh, elevated interest rates. Now, the rise in the long-term interest rates not only weighed on equities, but they also led to declines in fixed income as well. Mm. So when we look at the MSCI USD government bond index, that was also down around 3.4%. Mm-hmm. Now, when equities and bonds both decline at the same time, uh, that's been a real challenge for balance funds that aim to uh, target diversified exposures. Mm. Something similar to what we saw last year as well. Okay, okay. But you know, while equities, they were negative for the quarter, the MSCI Acqui Index, that was up 10.5% year to date. What's the reason behind this increase? So majority of that increase actually came in the first half of the year. Mm. Uh, and when we spoke the last time, we highlighted uh, the term the Magnificent Seven. Right. So that's a group of stocks, Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Amazon, Meta, Tesla, Alphabet, the Magnificent Seven collectively contributed more than 50% of the Acqui oh, Index wow. returns in the first half of the year. Yeah, so, and that reflects the concentration of outsized returns that we've seen from the mega cap community. Mm. Now, these stocks not only had high exposure to um, uh, size, but they also had exposure to uh, quality as well, such mm-hmm. as profitability and, and stable earnings. But besides that, they're also exposed to long-term megatrends that we've identified, such as autonomous technology, disruptive technology, next-generation internet, artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. So these stocks have, have had a lot of uh, tailwinds supporting their performance based on these long-term megatrends. Mm. Now, although we've seen declines in the overall ACRI index in the third quarter, mm-hmm. 10.5% return 
uh, that you noted throughout the year to date mm-hmm. largely re- reflects higher valuations for equities. Okay. Now, it remains to be seen whether the earnings can actually keep up pace with the valuations to justify where we are today. Mm, okay, okay. And meanwhile, Hitendra, in the U.S., uh, real bond yields have been lower than equity yields. But the spread has narrowed and is now significantly below the historical average. What does this imply? Yeah, so the observation here is uh, how can we compare the valuation of bonds mm-hmm. Versus the valuation of equity. Right. Now, in bonds, yeah, so in bonds, we can reference what's called the real yield. So we can anchor around the 10-year bonds, adjust that for inflation, and compare that with the equity earnings yield based on analysts' forward estimates. Mm -hmm. Now, looking at bonds alone, Mm -hmm. uh, the real bond yields in the U.S. have remained substantially above their last 10-year average, and that reflects the increase in interest rates that we've seen, which you could think of rates remaining higher for Mm -hmm. longer. Now, at the same time, we've seen a rise in U.S. equity valuations uh, outpacing earnings growth, and that's overall resulted in a lower earnings yield. So what we're saying is we're seeing relatively high real yields in bonds Mm. and low earnings yield in equities. And so when you compare bonds versus equities, we've seen a narrowing of that yield spread. Mm Okay, okay. I mean, with U.S. bonds, you know, showing higher yields, this could, of course, tempt allocators to shift some exposure from equities to bonds, right? So what should investors then consider first, though? Yeah, so that's quite possible. Uh, So the higher yields amongst the U.S. bonds could tempt asset allocators to shift exposure from equities to bonds. Mm -hmm. But as you kind of indicated, there are potential risks here. Okay. And I'll highlight a few. So the first is there could be unexpected higher inflation. Mm. So if inflation remains high or increases, interest rates could also move higher and stay higher for longer. Mm. And that could put pressure on bonds. Okay. The second, is a, the second is a debt overhang. So the U.S. Budget Office projects very significant increases in uh, U.S. debt issuance mm. in the coming years. And so that could mean a risk of oversupply. Mm-hmm. And then on the third is on the demand side of the equation. So despite a significant expansion in the issuance of treasuries, say from January 2022 to May 2023, mm-hmm. when we look at the uh, foreign holdings of these instruments, they've actually fallen. Okay. And if this trend continues, that could dampen demand for bonds, could potentially have a negative price impact mm-hmm. on the lower demand. So, Hitendra, another observation that I had is at the same time, you know, high concentration in the strong year-to-date performance of global equities has raised the specter of a so-called crowding risk. Perhaps for our listeners who are new to trading, could you help explain what crowding risk is? Yeah, sure. So it's always useful to understand what you own, Mm -hmm. but it could be just as useful to understand what others own too. Mm. And when investors are chasing too few opportunities, that could drive up valuations in euphoria. Okay. And and that could ultimately result in crowding risk. Mm -hmm. Given what we've spoken about around the concentration of performance driven by, say, artificial intelligence, Mm. there could be segments of the market that investors feel are crowded. Mm-hmm. But how can investors measure and identify crowding risk in their, in their broader portfolio? Mm. We have a data set called the security crowding model mm. that essentially scores stocks based on how crowded they are. Okay. 
one of the metrics is say valuation. So the question we're asking here is, how does the valuation of this stock compare to the valuation of other companies within the same peer group? Right. How does the valuation of that stock compare to itself mm. uh, over a historical time period? And so you could say if the valuation is high on a relative basis, mm-hmm. it's high on a historical basis, perhaps that's a metric that contributes to crowding. Mm. Now, we not only look at valuation, but we actually look at multiple metrics like short interest, volatility, momentum, uh, and other technical indicators as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. On that note then, does the market need stock-level crowd and quality control? I mean, how has the combination of low quality and high crowding impacted stocks' performance? So simply put, our research shows a combination of low quality mm-hmm. and high crowding has been bad for stock performance. Okay. And this is particularly relevant for this year. Mm-hmm. So investors may argue that crowding around stocks that have a strong outlook could be justified. Mm. Uh, that's why investors are chasing those hot stocks. Mm. But what if those stocks are not profitable today and are simply based on what the world looks like tomorrow. Mm. They're all based on forward expectations. If these companies fail to deliver on those expectations, that could potentially be negative for stock performance. Mm. So overall, we think it's useful to assess companies, not just on their crowding scores, but also looking at a quality assessment as well. Mm-hmm. Are those stocks profitable today? Do they have stable earnings? And so identifying these hotspots in the portfolio could help investors make more informed decisions. Mm, okay, okay. And let's take a closer look at emerging markets as well here. I mean, what were some of the key factors contributing to EM performance in the past quarter? So within emerging markets, there's a significant exposure to China. Mm. And it's been a very challenging year for China. So if we focus on that first, uh, China has um, been in an economic slowdown. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's been a series of regulatory crackdowns in the tech sector. There's been uh, increased political risks. Mm. There's been stress in the real estate sector. And on a broader scale, international companies have been diversifying uh, their supply chain. So looking at reallocating outside China to have more resilience going mm-hmm. forward based on experiences from COVID and so on. So decline in China has uh, weighed down emerging markets as a whole. Mm-hmm. Now, when we look at emerging markets beyond China and, and the macro backdrop, we've seen a strong dollar, mm-hmm. and that's resulted in weaker emerging market currencies. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at emerging market countries, their import prices have been higher. You know, we've noted the higher oil prices. There's also higher inflation. And banks within emerging market countries are also increasing rates to attract foreign flows Mm -hmm. uh, relative to, say, more safer markets like the U.S. Mm -hmm. So overall, these headwinds have resulted in uh, lower valuations for emerging markets. Okay, okay. On that note, I want to talk about one particular uh, emerging market. I mean, MSCI broad market indexes, they were down across all regions and major countries. But India was the only exception. What led India to be the bright spot? So when we look at the last quarter, India had um, had an exceptional performance of being up 2.9% compared to, as you noted, all other regions and major countries being down. So what makes India unique here? Well, uh, relative to other countries, 
its revenue base is largely domestic, and therefore one can argue that it's less exposed to the global economy and may reflect more the domestic growth factors. Mm-hmm. But putting performance aside, I think uh, one of the biggest bright spots for India in the last quarter was to become the first country to successfully land a spacecraft near the South Pole of the Moon. And that's not just a milestone for India, but it's also a milestone for the world. I see, I see. Well, thank you so much, Hitendra, for joining me today. It's been great to be here. Thank you. It's great to have you on. We've been speaking to Hitendra Varsani, who is the Managing Director and Head of Derota's and Exchange's Solutions Research at MSCI. I'm Hongbin Jung, and this has been Money in the Market. Stay with Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.